Hello and welcome to Banking Transformed. I'm your host, Jim Roos, founder and CEO of the Digital Banking Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. Despite increased investment in digital initiatives, financial institutions continue to be concerned that they are falling behind with digital transformation efforts that are needed to build real, long-term competitive advantages. Enabling digital engagement is not enough. Banks and credit unions must reimagine banking from the inside out, changing both how banking is done as well as what will create value in the digital era. Our guest is Daniel Lattimore, Chief Research Officer for Sellant. He discusses the way leading financial institutions are differentiating themselves with innovation, back office re-engineering, technology modernization, and new leadership paradigms. Welcome to the show, Dan. You know, it's been quite a while since we've seen each other at the at an event or or been at the same stage presenting to the banking industry. How have you been? Well, doing well. I think what we do, at least, it lends itself to being remote. And while we miss the human contact, we've been able to spend that much more time doing our research. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. The, the demand for content and for knowledge was overwhelming and almost at, as the pandemic did happened overnight. March of last year, I remember, you know, the realization that for right now, at least, the sales forces aren't going to be hitting the road. The events aren't going to be happening. So there was definitely a need to to re-engineer not only how we did everything, but more importantly, how how, how quick and often we do it. I think, you know, you've seen and, and many of our competitors have seen the fact that you know, we can't get enough content out there right now because there's such a thirst for knowledge as to what's going on in the marketplace. You know, you know, it's interesting because Salent just completed its 15th annual innovation and insight event where you explored how financial services players are using digital technology innovatively to differentiate themselves in an increasingly competitive and challenging marketplace. At this event, you also announced your 2021 model banking award winners. Given all that's going on in the industry, did many organizations even participate this year? Yeah, you know, this, as you said, is our 15th year of judging model bank nominations. We had about 150 submissions this year, which is on par with what we have seen in the past. And those who have engaged with us know what a fulfilling experience it is. And this year was really no different. Uh, Nominations started over the summer of last year and gave us time to do the assessments in the fall. But I, I think what we clearly saw was that, and what we called our theme, by the way, was accelerate. And so not just was there the desire to accelerate spurred on by all these changes that are taking places among consumers, but banks also moved a whole lot quicker than you ever would have thought possible 15 months ago. You know, it's amazing when you think about just, you take the example of both organizations that had to build a way for consumers and small businesses to open new accounts to the implementation of PPP loans. If you had told a financial institution, you know, in January or February of last year, you're going to have to put a new product on the market that's not going to even be given the parameters of that product until Thursday night. And you're going to have to get it up and running Friday or on the weekend or at the latest Monday. They would have said there's no way. And and then if you add to that the fact that, oh, by the way, you're not going to be able to meet any of your people in person. You're going to have to do all this remotely. They say we can't do it. So it it really sets a benchmark, doesn't it, for in a way of of what can be done when we focus our efforts? Yeah, I think you know, you, you give people a seemingly impossible task and they rise to the challenge and and they did it. And 
A lot of institutions did this with the help of smaller, nimbler folks who were able to put together newly architected PPP solutions in the US or in the UK. We heard of one of the very big banks who in six days stood up a solution for their mandates. But one of the things this big UK bank did with a cloud core provider was relax very heavily their internal processes and controls and said, okay, well, these rules that we have in place just clearly aren't going to play right now. So we're going to relax them given the extraordinary nature of what we're facing together. And given that combination of technology on the one hand and culture on the other, they were able to get these things done to the point where they were processing more than 30 loans every minute. Wow. Well, you know, it's interesting from an overarching perspective, and you said it really well, that the theme of your event was Accelerate. You know, what other major themes did you see coming out of the pandemic year of 2020? As we all figure out as people how to behave, one of the things that has really resonated for me is this notion of, of kindness. And let's be kind to each other, but also to ourselves. Get, cut ourselves a little slack. And I think that's one of the things banks need to do as well, cut themselves a little bit of slack internally and with their people, but also cut their customers a little bit of slack, get to an understanding of where they are. And some of this has been mandated by regulators in terms of some loan forbearance, um, both in the technical sense, but also in a gentler sense. And some has been just spurred by the banks, knowing who long-term is going to be a good risk. But certainly on the, the lending side of things and the PPP side of things, there was an extraordinary amount of activity. Digital transformation as smaller banks who'd been putting off becoming more digital and having a good mobile app really just bit the bullet and said, now we've got to have something. Digital transformation on the corporate side as well, because corporates couldn't go in and all sorts of uh, authentication and in-person and paper-based kinds of things that corporates had to do in the past had to be modified in terms of processes and procedures. Uh, and then finally, this whole move towards the overall ecosystem and a greater reliance on partners. Bank of America just had earlier this week a big conversation with some of their technology leaders, and they were talking about how uh, as they look for partners, and you know, given the size of their tech organization, by the way, they prefer to do things themselves, but there are certain instances where they need to partner. And Kathy Bassant said, one of the things we try to do in our initial due diligence is look at the culture of the firms we're thinking about partnering with. And if their culture and their values don't align with ours, we walk away. You know, that, that's interesting because we're, we're seeing more and more, and I know you, your team is recommending as well, that, you know, the only way to keep up with the speed of market right now is by using partnerships because you can accelerate the innovation cycle. You can accelerate the thinking cycle and, and the ability, to, and you said earlier, to break down some of the old barriers and how we process things. It's key. So when you look at how organizations are trying to transform themselves into the new digital reality, what do you see in separating what you believe are going to be the winners from the also rands in the marketplace? Well, there, there's this, at this point, at least a cliche that a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. Yeah. And what's going to, I think, separate the winners going forward is the will to keep on pushing using the lessons they've learned. They've shown they can do it. And now the key is to continue doing that, not just get over the line and, and take a break. And 
you know, there are a host of things that contribute to this. They, they now know that they can work with partners better. Um, their employees may be that much more efficient because they're saving an hour or two of commute each day. Uh, they have stood up new collaboration tools that are digital. No longer does everyone have to get into a room to talk through things. And so I think one of the key distinguishing factors of the winners is building on the lessons that they've learned and continuing to execute against them and seeing how they can continue to improve and keep on this trajectory to move themselves forward. You know, you, you work with so many different financial institutions. Is leadership part of this equation also? A lot of organizations really delayed on, on being able to enable digitalization of new account openings, loan applications, even the way they worked with consumers. They, they kept on hoping that the branch would get stronger and stronger. And sometimes that, that was from the top down, that, that, that the inability to change, which is a human aspect. It's not fun to change. It's not easy to disrupt yourself and, and start from, from a new or have to learn new things. How important is the digital leadership aspect of what you're seeing, you know, between, you know, your organizations that attended your event and, and participated as entries, you know, there was one overarching theme. They, they come from organizations that seem to, at least from the outside looking in, really have looked at things in a digital way as a technology provider, as opposed to just banking. How important is the leadership aspect from your perspective as it relates to digital transformation going forward? Critical. I mean, it, it cannot be done without it. There, we're, we're past the day where there can be a, a skunk works working on a discrete initiative, and then they get that out and demonstrate success. This has clearly got to come from the top. And, and part of it's generational, honestly. I mean, 10 years oh, yeah. ago, you you could get away with this. Uh, and, you know, here are you and I talking about this, but, you know, we buy it. And there's an old saying in the philosophy of science that science progresses one death at a time as, as old scholars and their ideas die off. My corollary to that is that digital progress occurs at banks one retirement at a time as yeah. you get in new blood who's familiar with this technology. And there are some folks who, who get it and will push it forward, but you really have to have that buy-in from the top because at the end of the day, that's where the priorities get set and the money gets allocated. And without that support and that push, you're not going to get the results you need today that are not just a bunch of point solutions, but really have to weave together to deliver the overall system that makes a bank tick. I wrote an article today for the financial brand talking about digital leadership and it. And it's not just the CEO and not just the CTO or CIO. It's actually all levels of management have to understand the digital potential and digital opportunity up there, I think, because what happens is, you know, from human resources, sales to marketing to customer care, all those elements really have to be transformed in a digital environment. And really, you know, the, one of the challenges, as you said about the retirements is, you know, most of these leaders are surrounded by other people that came up through the ranks with them to see things in the same way. So you really have to transform the entire organization, not just the very top of the organization, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, we're not at the point yet where digital has faded away as a, a separate thing. Uh, we are at some banks, but, you know, does a fish know it's swimming in water? No. And I think success will be when there's not a separate digital arm. Digital is just a critical part of how everything is done. And I think, again, as hokey as it sounds, but this notion of reverse mentoring, yeah. which may often start at home, you know, as your kids, if you've got them, 
are starting to show you all this technology or communicating with you via text and don't even know what email is, you start to expand your horizons. And I think there's all sorts of stuff that leaders can do to get them familiar with digital, not just in terms of banking, but go immerse yourself in um, in digital shopping and start to notice what ads get pushed to you as you're on other websites and figure out how all this interacts and, and start to really play around with it yourself and, and get yourself an Alexa or Echo speaker or whatever your smart speaker of choice is. Right. Um, and just start to embrace the technology and then start to see how that can be applied to your bank. A little shift here, but where do you see data, advanced analytics, and building a unified view of the customer across the organization play a role? Is the ultimate objective to empower an entire organization with a view of the customer and provide them tools to be able to address the customer's needs on any channel, or is it tighter than that? How do you see you know, overall digital analytics playing out here? Well, I mean, I, I think, Jim, what you just described has, has been a dream for a while in terms of a institution-wide holistic view of the customer, but world peace has also been a dream for a while. <laughs> and, and we've seen experiments and, and failed experiments going toward that. While it would be great, our current view is that, and it's great to be ambitious, but if you're ambitious for something that is really, really, really tough, if not impossible today, to really make happen, at least at any kind of reasonable cost, perhaps scale back those ambitions a little bit. And, and this may sound a little heretical for a, an industry analyst, but scale them back and go for um, something a little bit less ambitious. So you get a view within yeah. a single product line. So I'm going to really know everything that is going on on the consumer's you know, lending side of things. And I'm going to really offer them the the best auto financing alternative that they can currently get and then build out from there. So rather than trying to attack the whole thing all at once, establish a beachhead and get that beachhead really solid and then build out from that foundation to the next product. You know, that, that's interesting because it really it plays into the whole idea of saying, you know, let's get the, the use of primary data right before we talk about using secondary data and other kinds of data out there. I mean, I have a financial institution that continues to talk to me in a very general sense, doesn't show any understanding of what I'm considering the basics of who I am and what I do with them already. I don't care if they don't know what my other financial institutions and other financial relationships are doing, but I don't cut them any more slack if they don't even get the basics right about what they should know about me. You know, it's, it's one of those dynamics to say, you know, you can make a bigger mistake by by doing the simple things wrong than by doing the tough things right. I, it's it's a drop ball in many cases. And, and, you know, we get back to one of the conversations you had earlier about using partners. I think this is also where partners come in so handy because organizations, as you know, always use the excuse, all right, data's all messed up. It's got separate silos. It's, it's a total mess. Well, the good news is over the last several years, other solution providers have learned ways to work around those problems. There's nothing they haven't seen before, and they've worked with all the primary providers. So the reality is a lot of solution providers can get the solution in your organization relatively quickly, use them as a partnership, can't they? Yeah, absolutely. And even the act of setting up the problem statement and saying, this is what we're solving for, and this yeah. partner is what we want you to do, and this is what success will look like, and you know maybe this is where we'll gain share and here are the metrics 
even that exercise imposes a discipline that can be very helpful. And I think, you know, back to your point, and you, know, you talked about uh, dropping balls. I'll talk about low-hanging fruit. There's still a whole lot of low-hanging fruit. Oh yeah, that banks can go after. Uh, and that they should go after before they try this really ambitious stuff. I mean, stop sending me and my wife the same solicitation letter for some kind of consumer loan on the same day as just a very basic example. And then those firms that are a little bit more sophisticated, I get really frustrated by the fact that an organization I've worked with for now 16 years asked me, what balance do you want us to set as your minimum balance that we notify you that your balance is low? And I'm going through 16 years of working with me, you should be able to know daily what my normal minimum balance should be based on payments I make in the future. Most of them, you know, most big payments are ones that are made repetitively and you know when they're being made, you know, help me with this, you know, work on my behalf. But again, the getting the basics right, getting the personalization right on the basic level is pretty important. So how do firms play catch up when change is happening faster than ever before and where change obviously will never happen this slowly again? How do small and mid-sized firms, and even larger legacy financial institutions, survive in an environment where the, the big tech fir- firms really are, are getting it pretty right and the fintechs are also providing such great solutions? These firms still have a lot of advantages. And, and the, the biggest one is that they've currently got customers. And what, they, what they've got to focus on in our view, first of all, is is not losing those customers. And so back to some of the basics we've been talking about, you know, don't mess up the really basic stuff. So make sure your very basic processes are in a good place and in good order. And then triage pretty relentlessly and focus on the top one or two or three initiatives and and really get those right. I I think part of the danger is getting overwhelmed and saying, oh my goodness, we've got two dozen things that people are telling us we need to do. And if you take the peanut butter approach and try and do two dozen of those and none of them well, you've just wasted a ton of money. But if you can pick the the top three where you really need to make a difference and it's likely your mobile app as one, then that will get you going a long way. But don't don't get overwhelmed. Focus on some of the biggest hits first. And given where you are, if you're in that situation, a little change can go a long way for your customers and, uh, and hopefully keep them around. So let's take a short break here and recognize the sponsors of this podcast. Since we focus on how banking and finance are transforming, I'd like to talk to you about three letters, F-I-S. From local shops to global banks, FIS is evolving commerce and helping businesses and banks transform in the digital world. FIS moves $8.1 trillion annually, serves over 90% of the world's largest private equity firms, 60% of the world's largest merchants, and 90% of the world's most innovative bank and credit unions. They have the unmatched expertise needed to advance your business. So if you're looking to transform, then look no further than FIS Modern Banking Platform. Cloud-enabled, containerized, open and secure, it's built from the ground up to meet the unique challenges and opportunities of the digital age. The advantages are many and the value is real. Lower your costs, reduce IT burden, manage regulatory concerns, and launch new products easily, all with one flexible digital core banking platform. With FIS Modern Banking Platform, your bank can boost innovation and agility, participate in a flourishing modern ecosystem that is open, real-time, and cloud-native, and offer engaging customer experiences. 
The time is now and the solution is here. FIS Modern Banking Platform. So join 80% of the world's most innovative banks by going to FISglobal.com forward slash modern banking. FIS, advancing the way the world pays banks and invests. Is your organization trying to embrace digital banking transformation in 2021? Are you trying to elevate the customer experience? Figure out what technology you want to implement to improve the customer journey. Look at data analytics to really better understand and personalize the customer experience. And you're trying to make it so that more of your employees can buy into and be part of your digital banking transformation. If this sounds like you, I ask you to reimagine banking with our newest podcast sponsor, Microsoft. They give you the opportunity to unlock new opportunities at speed throughout innovative business models, deliver differentiated customer experiences across channels, products, and services, and redefine new ways of banking. Microsoft and its partner ecosystem help banks to achieve differentiation through sustainable growth, streamlining core systems, reducing cost and risk, and delighting customers and employees. If you're in the midst of a journey, trying to figure out what to do next, maybe trying to find out what other organizations are doing to lift up their experience level, I really encourage you to look at Microsoft. For more information, visit microsoft.com slash financial services. Welcome back to Banking Transform. So I'm joined today by Dan Lattimore, Chief Research Officer at Salent. We have been discussing observations from Salent's Innovation and Insight Week 2021 that just completed. So Dan, part of your Innovation Insight Week is the much anticipated announcement of your Model Bank of the Year Award. This year's winner was Viral Bank, the first fintech to receive a U.S. bank charter. From your perspective, what set Viral apart from the other organizations vying for this award? Well, for us, Vera was really the embodiment of the promise of fintechs that they've been looking for for the last dozen years or so. So here is now a bank that finally was able to build itself from the ground up with a completely de novo and state-of-the-art tech stack that came from Temenos, so a partner. Yeah. But they, they took that stack and then they, you know, 80% of what they built, they built themselves, but on a solid foundation. And Temenos was a partner who was willing to work with them uh, and not say, you've got to have everything done our way. You can take what you need and, and we'll be happy with that. And we'll support you. But that has given them a foundation from which they can start doing all sorts of interesting things. So they will have a pristine data lake that they can start fishing in, as opposed to having to you know, take out the plastic that they reel in. They have now, because their cost to serve, they estimate is about a quarter of that of a traditional bank. They've got a built-in cost advantage that they can use to give back to or share with their customers. So they have much more attractive rates. They're making, obviously, a big push to be the primary bank and get direct deposit for their customers. And once they have that, they can start stocking their data lake and figuring out what the cash flows, for instance, of their 
customers are and start to tailor offers based on that. So much like Capital One back in the 90s started out as a data-driven organization and, and right. continues to do that today, that's a large part of Vero's proposition, but they are able to get there because they've got this really interesting system built on low-cost, state-of-the-art technology. And it's kind of like the Walmart model where they focused first on getting ruthlessly efficient on the back end and were able to pass that savings on to their customers, which then started this virtuous circle. So it's interesting. We, we were fortunate enough to have Colin Walsh, the founder and CEO of Viral Bank, on the show a few months ago. And it was enlightening to hear Colin discuss the vision of Viral. But even more interesting to feel the difference of this progressive fintech compared to what a discussion with many legacy banks feels like. I, I don't know. It was the, the dynamic, the enthusiasm, the passion. He's a legacy banker. So he came out of the banking industry. But when you look at the leader, you know, we talked about leadership a little bit on the previous segment, but how much does passion play into the success of any financial services company right now? Well, I, I think it's not just any financial services company. It's it's any company out there, period. And I think some of the biggest success is going to be from those leaders who feel like they succeed not on their own and they don't succeed at the expense of people, but they succeed when their stakeholders succeed. So their shareholders, also their employees and their customers. And for the really ambitious and, and broad thinking like Colin, you know, that, that's also society which if you think big, that's also a stakeholder. Yeah. And I think that passion across all industries for doing well when others do well is going to stand them in really good stead. So in that sense, you know, you, you, you're, we've hedged on this subject a little bit during this conversation, but the whole idea of sustainability, this has been the, the way community banks have succeeded in the past. They've, they've looked out for their communities and looked out for their, their members and things like this. But because of the social things that took place during the pandemic, do you see this as becoming a bigger and bigger issue and opportunity for financial institutions to, to actually grow and succeed if they can be more like their customers? I mean, are customers going to start selecting institutions that are more like them from the standpoint of what they'd like to be represented by? I think that there is a search for community and belonging and, and looking for a kind of mutual kindness among some folks, uh, not everyone by any means. And to the extent that some portion of consumers can be served by an institution where they feel a part of and they believe in the mission, yeah, I think there's certainly an opportunity. And for example, uh, in the ESG space, you know, it's going to be really tough for a lot of big banks to start to say, well, we're not going to lend to or do much business with some of these types of companies that uh, are in the target or the crosshairs of, of ESG governance folks. But a smaller institution who may not be doing any kind of business with, um, you know, pick, pick an industry, a tobacco company, um, they can say, we're not ever going to do business with a tobacco company. That message may resonate. And, or we're going to invest heavily now in renewable energy and make that a big part of our loan portfolio. Uh, so I think that's an interesting opportunity for some of these smaller banks along and credit unions, along with that notion of community. From your perspective, has the awareness of what is possible in the digital world from firms like 
Instacart, Zoom, Netflix, and Amazon increases table stakes from what consumers increases table stake for what consumers want in their financial engagements? Yeah, I think you know we've been seeing um, online uh, even before mobile phones online uh, experiences outside of banking continually. Uh, raise the bar for consumers' expectations of banks. And consumers don't care that banks have regulations they've got to deal with and compliance, and that there are regulatory reasons that checks don't clear immediately and and the like. A lot of that is opaque, and, and they just don't care, and they wonder why their bank can't be like an Amazon or a Starbucks. But you know, I think also there's an interesting potential for for backlash. If you've been into a Starbucks lately now, it can be chaos with all the digital orders that are coming in. And so ironically, the digital has disrupted or degraded, in some instances at least, the physical experience. And so I think for those banks that still have physical as a backstop, and there there are a lot of them, but thinking about what is going to get someone to a a branch or a store uh, at this point and really optimize around those kinds of new customer journeys that have morphed from a year and a half ago will give them a, a big advantage. Because you know, when you do have to go in someplace now, it's a, a much different kind of mindset. You, you kind of uh, psych yourself up to go do it. So when they do make that effort as customers, the bank should be prepared to help them along the way. You know, it's interesting. You just bring up this up, the whole balance between physical and digital and the human factor. You know, most organizations are, are trying to find the right blend of digital and humanization and, and how to deliver a better customer experience. How do you see the blend looking like in the future? I mean, we've seen branch visits going down that they're not coming back and maybe they're going to come a little bit back from where they were in the middle of the pandemic where nobody can visit branches. But how do you see the blend of that taking place? And how do you see organizations even going further to say, we don't want to make it so that we're just a mechanical um, implementation. We have to make sure the customer experience extends across all channels. So how do you see that playing out in the future? Just like in lots of things, like education, education is going to be hugely changed. And we're early days, and there are thousands of experiments going on around the country in terms of what the future of this hybrid notion will be and and what will be the purpose of being in person. And so the point of this little digression is that I think we don't yet know, but the general reason for going into a branch or a physical location is going to change. And there's going to be the expectation, much more so than in the past, that the bank knows why the customer's there uh, or is going to be able to pick up from where they left off. And, and those banks that can't make that hybrid uh, experience are going to be at a disadvantage. Yeah, it's interesting. So finally, you know, let's take the crystal ball out. We're certainly not going to go too far down the line because we've realized that that's not productive and and things can change in an instant. But how do you see banking transforming in the near future and midterm? And how do you see financial institutions being able to deliver on what now has become an extraordinarily aggressive consumer expectation? Well, I, I think you, know, you hit on it a little bit. This notion of personalization is, is still there. It's getting the basics right. But on the personalization side, to the extent that there is the ability to be a lot more proactive than in the past and give some targeted advice that that is very specific and you know we're starting to see pockets of this and things like i mean boy if your utility company can send you out 
every month a comparison of your energy usage compared to your neighbors and say you are in the top 10%, which I am, by the way, here in Boston because I make everyone wear sweaters, you know, why can't your bank do that same kind of thing or give you specific tips or little prompts? Or, or back to your example earlier, why can't they say, well, Jim, based on your history with us, we'd suggest that you set a minimum balance of 400 or whatever as an alert. On the 12th uh, of the month. Yeah, exactly. Right. right. Yep. And, and do you agree? And one click and you agree. So I think that notion of, of more proactivity and not necessarily saying we're doing this, but this is what we suggest. Do you buy it and make it easy to, to opt in or change? Well, that's interesting because it really gets into the, the humanization factor and the doing right and doing good. Because, you know, at the end of the day, I want my financial institution to be looking out for me. I have an example that, that I bring up a couple of times that my mortgage company never reached out to me about refinancing when rates went down. And I ended up starting to refinance the process with somebody else. And they all of a sudden were all over me saying, how oh, can we help you? And you go, you know, a little late now. And I think you're right. The, the personalization factor of, of being able to, to look and say, you know, how can I help you? I call it the GPS of financial services rather than rearview mirror. I don't want to know when I overdraft. I want you to help me avoid an overdraft. And I don't want you to, you know, to make me walk in to get a loan. I want you to proactively figure out when I might be in the mood or in the mode of buying a car or buying a house or doing something else. And, you know, that's a, a lot to haul, but it's going to differentiate the winners from the losers. You know, I, I, I'm a big fan of Acorns because they help me save by saying, you know what, you have some extra money in your account, we're going to transfer it over and they find different ways. And I built my largest regular savings account ever over the last two and a quarter years of using Acorns. And, and it's been painless. It's like the, you know, the corporate world, the 401k, which if I don't see it, then I don't know it's gone. Um, not many people are, are nickel and diming their check balance on an ongoing basis. So the fact that they can take it out, I can check to make sure I have enough in there all the time. It's pretty cool. So well, and, and even one other example. I mean, if you if you overdraft right now and you call up because you haven't done it very often, right. and, and they make you grovel, why not just say, "Hey, Mr. Lattimore, are you are you calling about this recent overdraft based on your history?" Um, we're happy to to waive that, and then I'm extraordinarily happy, and I will actually tell people about that because it's unheard of. Oh, exactly. And you know, PNC and a lot of organizations, Frost Bank and a number are now putting in new overdraft policies because it's not a good place to be. And the fact that, you know, they they they've had a history of processing deposits and and withdrawals at different times and and all the other elements, but you know, okay, give me 24 hours to make it good. Tell me that it doesn't look right like you're in the right place right now. Can we help you? Can we avoid making a payment or can we wait for you to make a deposit? And that it's a good point. And I think, you know, that's one of the benefits of the pandemic. I think one of those things is that those organizations that found ways to help people, uh, be it financial institutions, be it the local restaurant, be it, uh, you know, a, a running store, whatever it may be, did well. They existed. They, they did as well as could be expected given the dynamics. But I think, you know, financial institutions have to look at this as well and, and say, you know, how do I exist in this world without just trying to digitize everything? So, Dan, again, thank you very much for being on the show. I really appreciate the time and uh, looking forward to getting back to events again. Yeah, my pleasure, Jim. Great to catch up as always. And yes, I'll, uh, I'll see you maybe in 2022 somewhere. Yes, looking forward to it. 
You know, it's great to have a conversation with Dad Lanamore. He's a good friend of mine, been in the business a long time as I have, and it's great to get his perspective because with their event they just had, they're really able to look at what's the best of what's going on in the banking industry right now. And his take on, on the use of digitalization, personalization, and using really integrated customer experiences that take into account how a customer feels and who they want to do banking with is an important insight to remember. Thanks for listening to Banking Transform, just announced as a Communicator Award of Excellence winner for Outstanding Branded Series by the Academy of Interactive and Visual Arts. If you enjoyed today's interview, please be sure to follow the show on your favorite podcast app, and we would love a review of the show. Also, be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and check out our research we are doing on digital transformation, retail banking innovation, the digital customer experience and financial marketing for the Digital Banking Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our producer, Leah Longbreak, audio engineer and video engineer, Will Pritz, who helped us on both fronts this week. I'm your host, Jim Roos. Until next time, embrace change, take risk, and disrupt yourself. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.